Hello, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Crash, the culture, technology and creative podcast. This is episode 249, recorded on Monday the 25th of March 2019 at 23.24.04. Hi, I'm a bit stuffy, as I often am. And I just thought I would share with you, right at the top of the show, and I'll keep this quick, the latest batch of medication that I have to shove into my head holes. Okay, let's be a bit more technical. My eyes, my ears, and my nose. Not my throat, which is strange because I do actually have a sore throat. So let's just take it as read that I'm probably going to be gargling something as well. Let's just say salt water. Okay. Here are the things. I'll pick them up and put them down so you'll be able to count them. So hopefully you heard six little clunks. And that is a ridiculous amount of stuff to spray to drop, to snort, and to smear into your face every day. Ridiculous. And I'm still snuffling. <clears throat> According to the doctor, it's an inner ear problem. Right, okay, well, thanks for that. But, yeah, I'm sticking all these things in my face and head and... Okay, Later on, there'll be some more extra noises, some rummaging, like that. I did actually have my medication in the bag of podcasting earlier, along with other props that I'll need later on, but we'll leave that for now. And yeah, let me go on to something a bit nicer. Happy Holly, everyone. It was the Hindu Festival of Colours, Holly, by now. Just about everyone in the world should know what that is. If you don't, maybe catch up on the general knowledge of it. But that was a few days ago, so happy Holly. Next, new TV. Yes, I have got a new TV passed on to me by a friend who just upgraded. Thank you, anonymous friend. I put my smaller TV up against the new TV, just to compare the sizes, because this did look so enormous. And the new TV is ridiculously large. When I say that, I mean ridiculously large in a sense that I'm not really used to having TVs that big, don't have enough money. So yeah, when I saw this thing, it was enormous. It seems to be, in fact, the size of the monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey turned on its side. Okay, perhaps that's exaggerating just a little. But because the normal position of the TV is in front of my patio doors, looking out onto the outside world, it really did block out the sun. And I've got to tell you this, I've been feng shuing myself 
backwards, sideways, trying to manoeuvre it into a less terrifying position. And by terrifying, I mean, man, it looms! I don't know whether I should be watching it or sacrificing humans to it, but I'll talk a bit more about the TV later. There'll be a reason for it later as well. Let's just do the show. Another friend recently told me that Dick Dale, real name Richard Anthony Mansour, the pioneer of surf rock, died. He passed away on the 16th of this month in the midst of preparing for a tour. And as far as I'm concerned, that is the best way to go. Continuing with something you love. He is famous for the Arabic-sounding Mizerlu, featured in Pulp Fiction. Arabic? Why? Because it is using Arabic scales. Yeah, that blonde, blue-eyed Californian surf music that you love so much? Arabic. Hey, the guy was half Lebanese and could play the oud, which accounts for that track, I suppose. The oud is like... A lute? Or rather, a lute is like an oud. Because they say that Western instruments were developed in the East and adapted and evolved until we get things like the guitar. But yeah, he could play one of those. He could also play this Arab type of drum. And he always said that the drumming was important in his guitar sound. I suppose that very repetitious alternate picking style that he had. He was also famously a left-hander and played the Strat with massively thick strings upside down. Bass strings on the bottom and his need to be heard over the audience made Fender develop crazy loud amps. Dick Dale... God of Surf Rock, Crash salutes you. You know, I said I'd do less of these obituary-type things, and look what's happening. And here we have another one. And this feels like something I almost surely must have mentioned before. And what I think has happened is... I must have mentioned this in a previous episode, but... It isn't in the show notes, which again proves that the show notes are not a script. But I'll mention it again, because forgetting that someone had died and then rediscovering someone had died by looking on Google is incredibly depressing. Nigel Terry died a while back. He is most famous for playing King Arthur in John Borman's Excalibur, which is really, really one of the best films ever. And Caravaggio in Derek Jarman's film of the same name. He died quietly three years ago. R.I.P. Nigel Terry. I found this out about the same time I was thinking about starting to interview people, who have worked in genre media again, because it's what I used to do. This was the beginning of looking people up and finding out that it's been a massacre. Deaths, 
serious, serious illnesses, and more. If you want to catch up on past interviews, I don't think anyone on the list of people that I have interviewed already died, hopefully not, go straight to roymartha.com, R-O-Y-M-A-T-H-U-R.com, click on the podcast link, and then click on the guest link, and listen to some of them, or all of them. I might get into doing the interviews again. One way of looking at it is that if I don't do the interviews, then does it really matter? I mean, I'm sure many of these people have been interviewed many times before, but I'm sure I can possibly bring something more to those interviews rather than just going fan crazy and just talking about that one thing that they were in that I really love. Maybe I could do a more broad interview? Not sure yet. We'll see how it goes. David Bailey is still alive. (laughs) I'm sorry about that, David Bailey. David Bailey's book is out on the Tashen Sumo line. It features the famous pop culture portrait photographer's work, weighs so much that you will need a forklift truck to get it around your living room. Well, it is called the Sumo line, after all. And then you'll put it on your coffee table, and no doubt it will destroy your coffee table. And costs over two grand. To be precise, £2,250. For that, you are getting a signed copy. I should think so. No, I'm not joking. It is that big and that heavy. One can only hope that this huge tome falls on some snooty bookshop assistant's foot. Oh, and by the way, I found out that Tashen, the publisher of all those coffee table art books, is actually run by a person called Benedict Tashen, not Cumberbatch who is only slightly older than me, and got his start running a comic book shop, which all goes to show that comic geeks can be cultured, and not just in that Mr. Glass psychopathic kind of way. Anyway, in the book, you can find photographs of the Queen, Catherine Deneuve, who the jammy sod was married to at one stage, the Beatles, oh, and really just about every A-lister you can poke a stick at. Oh, and it's a bargain, <laughs> because I mentioned that price a bit earlier, didn't I? £2,250, but it is a veritable bargain compared to photographer Helmut Newton's Tashen Sumo book, which costs... Drum roll, please. Any guesses? £13,000. It's a big book. Okay, American Gods Season 2 is in full swing. It looks great and is well acted, but the story is just so dull. For me, anyway. I keep drifting off. 
But then the book it's based on is pretty boring too. Let the hate mail begin. Might I also remind you at this point that Ira Glass hates Shakespeare. What can I say that's good? Mad Sweeney continues to be great and is described by one of the characters in this season as the biggest, unluckiest leprechaun. Next, the OA, season two. It is brilliant and beautiful and then loses it all in the last episode, which is rubbish on a level where Edward's filmography can be considered high art in comparison. I don't know what happened to the writers in that last episode, other than they just decided to possibly borrow that pair of boxing gloves I have in that ginormous gym bag in the other room and just punch each other in the face until they felt stupid enough to write this drivel. And how do they do this? And it's not so much by breaking the fourth wall, as by going smug, indulgent, hipster, meta. In a really awful failed attempt at some form of Grant Morrison-ish nonsense at his worst times a trillion... Ah, you know, I'm just cringing thinking about that last episode. And if, by some miracle, this isn't the nail in the coffin for the show, and there's a third season, I'm out now. Because they disrespected the audience by making the last episode so pants. My advice is, watch it all the way through, and, okay... I'm going to have to spoil it a little bit, so if you don't want to hear this a bit, skip on a few seconds. Go to the last episode when you're there, and there is a scene where a character looks out a window as he opens it and sees a blinding light at the point at which that light is blinding. Stop. Right there. It's about ten minutes before the end. Maybe a little more than that. But that's my advice. Do not go any further than that. Do not watch the meta bit. It spoils the entire two seasons. It's like they've taken a wrecking ball to it. I really don't understand what possessed them. Something rather better now for all mankind. This is the first of a pair of movies I watched on that new TV I was talking about at the top of the show. Because what better way to inaugurate its introduction into the Tower of Roy than by watching some amazing space movies on a giant high-definition TV. The other reason I've been hooked on space lately is that... I recently spoke to my mum about the Apollo moon landing in 1969. She recalled how she and Auntie Doreen passed me back and forth. I was a baby. Small child, anyway. As they watched the moon landing on a black and white TV. For years, I've had this memory, and now it's confirmed.
It wasn't all a dream. I did actually watch the first moon landing in 1969. For All Mankind is a 1989 documentary about the NASA Apollo 11 mission, arguably the most important spaceflight in human history, which culminated in Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. This really is must-viewing. First Man was the second film I watched on the massive screen, and the reason I was so tired the rest of the day. It is an incredible movie about a hyper-competent aeronautical engineer, Navy jet pilot, test pilot, and astronaut Neil Armstrong. The film is said to focus on the human side of the story, his personal loss at the beginning of the film and the subsequent deaths of his fellow astronaut colleagues throughout are powerfully and quietly portrayed, but the amazing effects and cinematography also satisfies the techie, nerdy side of me. Of course it does. Space nut. I think it's the right balance and I'm impressed by Ryan Gosling's performance, which, because I've seen him in too many things lately, was what originally put me off seeing this movie for so long, because it's been out for quite a while. I would say it's spectacular, and you should see it. And the most terrifying thing in the movie for me was not blast off, touchdown, or splashdown, no, no, no. It was that stupidly dangerous lunar landing training vehicle. Man, I was queasy and uneasy for hours after watching the movie because of just that lethal, awful, terrible machine. Ugh. So yes, first man, go and see it. And for all mankind, go and see that too. Apollo 11, if you liked the previous two films, Apollo 11 is a 2019 documentary about Apollo 11 that premiered at Sundance in January. It's made up of film from the time, some of it previously unreleased 70mm, with no narration or interviews. As far as I know, it was only released for a week on IMAX in the UK, so it looks like I've missed it. Oh, great. I must say, that is a pretty poor show. One week? Come on! The DVD or Blu-ray are the only choices now, I suppose, but it's a pity I missed it on IMAX. I checked on Amazon, and the release is due on the 14th of May. And now that I'm thinking about it, there's no way this film is going to look as good as it should on DVD. This really does need a Blu-ray, which is absolutely brilliant, because I don't have a Blu-ray player. <sighs> but yeah, Apollo 11, put that one on your list as well. And now let's move on to technology. 
And my first item is about SSL and how it is more complicated than you probably think, or it might be, because I didn't think it was going to be that hard to move httproymartha.com to httpsroymartha.com, and it was. Actually, you know what, I knew it wasn't going to be as easy as it has been made out to be, but I didn't think it was going to be that annoying. And frankly, it was all a little confusing, but eventually I figured it out, though not through any technical expertise on my part, but by contacting my host, who turned on some form of SSL for my website. They just did something, and magically it was on. And then, after that, I realised that I used the string HTTP instead of HTTPS in all of my website hyperlinks. And then, I realised that I had to go and change all of them. And no, it's not quite over yet. Then I also remembered about my podcast and Apple iTunes and FeedBurner and all the other places I have used the non-encrypted URL. That meant digging into my .ht access file to do redirection and to add a location tag to my podcast RSS feed. At which point it occurred to me that if I could redirect from the HD access file, why did I do all that previous stuff? <sighs> like I said, it was confusing for me, and I'm generally okay with tech. I cannot imagine that it will be a walk in the park for a completely non-techie user. Those who say that going SSL is easy, and I've heard this opinion spouted by a lot of fellow tech journalists, and I think they are talking out of the seat of their trousers. Anyway, I'm done and secure, and now when you visit my sites, you'll see the reassuring little green padlock thingy. For what it's worth. It feels a bit futile as I don't run an e-commerce site, but it's done now. My advice, if this is something you want to do because you're scared of being de-ranked by Google, think about it carefully. If all you do is run a static website or a simple blog, this may be completely pointless. The next thing on my list of things to do that stretches out to eternity is to fight with BT to fix my rubbish internet speeds. What a faff, and we'll be coming back to those speeds in a bit. Now, how about a quick change in subject for a few minutes? I was flipping around the internet, doing the show notes, and I came across this article about Tudor England, and apparently it wasn't as white as perhaps some people once thought. This is to do with the Mary Rose. The Mary Rose was one of King Henry VIII's largest warships in the Tudor Navy. 
it was excavated in the late 80s, 1980s, not 1880s, I'm not that old, and studied ever since. Alex Hildred, head of research for the Mary Rose Trust, and his team have found, through DNA and other tests, that several of the crew were not white English. This is again another piece of evidence indicating racial and cultural diversity in our country. And I really hope that this upsets the bigots. Let's swoop back into something more geekily familiar. Open Alec and Core. This is to do with the new TV, and Open Alec didn't recognise the new TV's remote control, but I have the Core app running on my Android phone, so yeah, it does work with that. So if your installation of Open Alec does not recognise your remote control when you plug your device into the HDMI socket on your TV. Try installing the Core app. It works through Wi-Fi, so you shouldn't have any problem. On that subject of my OpenELEC media player, I have to admit OpenELEC's spin of Kodi for the Raspberry Pi runs really smoothly, much better than on higher spec PC hardware like for example, my netbook, which I tried it on, and that just hated Kodi, despite having a much faster processor and more RAM. My setup at home is OpenELEC installed through the Noobs installation system on my Raspberry Pi 3B+. Another little tip is that if you're running OpenELEC and the zoom is a bit out, or you want a different colour scheme, don't be afraid to adjust the settings within OpenELEC. It's very, very easy. I left it for ages and ages because this is a temporary installation, and <laughs> I thought eventually I'll be putting a different operating system on that Raspberry Pi, but I haven't yet. So earlier today, I changed the color scheme to rose, and I changed the zoom so that the edges of the screen weren't cut off anymore, and I changed the screensaver time and amount of dimming. Okay, moving on to Google Inbox. Inbox, introduced in 2014, is closing down, and I didn't even know it existed until today. But I tried it earlier, and it's not really going to be something that I'd miss. It's a big, friendly interface to your inbox, like a different way of mailing that looks a little less techy, I suppose. Honestly, it didn't appeal to me. I like my Gmail stripped down and basic, and I even run it in HTML mode. Even when I did run the full version of Gmail, I was using the terminal scheme, so it's no big loss to someone like me. And on top of that, daily I use the Thunderbird email client to access my mail, so again, inbox is really 
not something that I'd missed, and it's probably not something that was aimed at me anyway, but it is going. The next thing about Google, Google Stadia. This is Google's new cloud-based subscription gaming service with the ability to play seamlessly on multiple devices. There's going to be a dedicated controller, but it should work with most USB controllers. OnLive tried this before and failed, but Google are banking on current better bandwidths at the customer end. Or at least that's what they think. For example, the service will offer up to 4K streaming. But since 1080p will require you to have a bandwidth of about 25 Mbps, this tells me that they never listen to my podcast. And why should they? Because hardly anyone does. Boo-hoo-hoo. According to my ISP, BT in the UK... At best, I should be running at about 10 Mbps, which means I wouldn't be able to use Google Stadia anyway. But 10 is what I should be running roundabout. I'm actually, and I've run speed tests, running at about 2 Mbps. 2. Not 10, and definitely not 25 I wonder if they've really thought this through. Today, I have absolutely nothing on the creative front to report. I'm not going to have the little sonic break that I have now and then in the show, but we're now in the after show section. And I had a little article for you that I have tried to write up and completely failed because it is way too complicated. And that is that I have found out, and this is, of course, now a completely tangent subject, which is not really directly to do with geekery. I have found out that the day is not 24 hours. Now, I always suspected that it wouldn't be exactly 24 hours, but now I know. It is actually about four minutes less. And the reason it's slightly less than 24 hours is because of some solar thingy. Honestly, I could look into it, but I tried, and after a few hours, it made my brain hurt. The point is, your cat, your dog... Your family, your employers, your government, your priest or pundit or rabbi or imam, they are all getting an extra four minutes of your precious life every day for free. So I thought to myself, what shall we do to redress this act of utter fiendishness? What shall we do? And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. And welcome to the four-minute party. Okay. This is a four-minute party. I've actually brought some sweets. They're in my bag of podcasting props, which is a Star Wars-themed bag. Uh, Let's have a look what we've got here. Right, okay. Well, I'm a bit tired, and I could do with some energy. So, 
People have read it. I'm about to eat on the microphone again. I have, and these did feature before in this podcast, but it's been a while, and they've been at the bottom of my drawer somewhere, but I'm pretty sure they're okay. I tested them the other day. I'm having some more dark choffy coffee beans because I need the energy. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, that's really good. Mmm. Chocolate. Mm. Right, so, uh, where were we? Um, I've completely lost my track now. Four-minute party. How many minutes was that? Let's just say two. And what else can we talk about? Um, oh, yeah. The reason I need more energy today is because there's been a bit of a bottleneck in podcasting, and I've got them stacked up. So what I thought I'd do is, and it is already past midnight, so this will work, is record this podcast on Monday the 25th, and the next podcast back-to-back right after recording this one, and then spend tomorrow in the joyful task of editing them both. If you want a bit of continuity this week, just listen to them one after the other, because that's how I would have recorded them. And we've still got about a minute. I don't really know what to tell you. I could have a sip of my drink. Mm. Mm. I don't think ginger ale is the ideal accompanying tipple to chocolate-covered coffee beans. Uh, Right, probably a minute left. Mm, I could do some on-the-spot jogging. Okay, right, I'm actually jogging. I hope you appreciate this. Oh, blimey. I don't think jogging is actually partying. I don't think I understand what having fun really means. Oh, there is something else I can tell you about those four minutes that we're expected to contribute to greater society that actually belongs to us. And that is, if you think all of what I have just said is patently nonsense, which is perfectly possible and perfectly understandable because this stuff confused me sideways, write in and let me know. During the course of researching this item, I found out that there was a thing called Anus Confusionis. In 46 BCE. And it really was a thing. I'm not making that up. It sounds like something you would read in an article from The Onion, but it isn't. Hello there. Roy in editing mode here. Just butting into my podcast to eliminate further confusion. The solar day that I referred to earlier and Anus Confusionis are not directly related. Anus Confusionis is related to fixing untaken leap years that meant for one year, the year had to be really long to compensate for untaken leap years, which sounds crazy, but I'll go now.
<sighs> I'm out of breath now. I did 30 seconds of jogging and I'm sweats pouring off my forehead. I'm going to need a little sit down for a few minutes before doing the next show and that will be about Doctor Who shortly after stopping this recording. This show is produced, presented and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com for further reading. There's a link to the show notes in the description of this episode. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, or Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. I mean, I did mention Helmut Newton. Doesn't that count? This was episode 249, recorded on Monday the 25th of March 2019, but ending on Tuesday the 26th of March 2019. And the time at the end of the show is 9 minutes and 44 seconds past midnight. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye! What a show. And now another show. I don't get paid enough for this. I don't get paid anything for this. Not that I'm complaining. Perish the thought.